0: So today, uh, we are, we are starting our pulpit series, a uh, year long pulpit series on the kingdom of God. The last two weeks we did an overview, um, for how we can think about kingdom throughout the year. And today we're starting, um, the, Pulpit series, uh, topical pulpit series, proper. That doesn't mean the previous ones were <laughs> improper. Okay, now let's, uh, today we're going to preach and, and see uh, two, in fact, three parables that help us to see that the kingdom of God is about seeing worth. The kingdom of God is about seeing worth. So allow me to pray with every one of us right now before we get into the Word. Father, we want to exalt you, we want to to lift you high, high in our eyes, exalted in our eyes, magnified in our eyes, Lord God, so that we we can perceive you as worthy, we can perceive you as worthwhile, we can perceive you as being priceless. And Lord, truly help us as as your own uh, psalm says lord open my eyes that i may see wondrous things in your law so father we pray that you will cause an opening of eyes on this morning so that when we see you what we see will be beautiful and not dull what we see will be glorious and, and and not just ordinary lord so father we know that you are glorious you are beautiful lord god but give us the eyes To see it, it would be grace from you for us to see it. So we pray for that kind of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Now I'm going to jump right into some of these parables. So short, one line parables, right? Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the hidden treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. These two parables are a parallel of parables um, because they say essentially the same thing. And there is another parable um, that presses into the same idea told later in the course of Jesus' three-year ministry. And I want to show you Luke chapter 14, the parable of the great banquet. A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going out to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married, therefore I'm unable to come. Verse 21, So the servant came back and reported these things to the master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor the maimed, blind, and lame. Master, said the servant, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet." Father, I just pray, Father God, that Your Word will will, will be exalted and that today, You will help us to understand these parables. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. All right, Three parables. The first two are very similar. The first one is on the man on the land, right? The man on the land. I've laid it out this way because it's a continuum of attitudes surrounding these three people. And I'm going to be breaking this down from right to left. The pearl merchant. The guy who was in search of fine pearls, that's his trade. He's looking for valuable pearls. And then there's the middle guy, the man on the land. He's just walking about, he's just doing his thing. And I don't know how he can stumble on treasure, but maybe he was digging around, I don't know. But what we know is that he's just walking around and then he stumbles upon treasure on a piece of land that is not his. It's public land or owned by someone else. It's not public land, it's owned by someone. And then, on the far end, you've got the banquet guests. And the banquet guests have an invitation, come to them. All three, all three parties come into an encounter with something valuable. The pearl merchant comes into an encounter with the most valuable pearl that he has ever seen in his whole career as a pearl merchant. The man on the land stumbles upon treasure so untold in its obvious worth, he knows, he immediately sees that it is something special. And the banquet guests come in contact with an invitation, and an invitation to a banquet that should be extremely valuable. And all three of them, all three of them, have slightly different journeys so if you look at the next row on the table you see that the pearl merchant was the most proactive one of all three the pearl merchant is the guy is the one who is constantly seeking constantly growing constantly probing he's probably going uh, uh, um um to to one seaside to another from one shore to another and he's going and visiting people who are harvesting pearls and he's looking and looking and looking and he's constantly on the search some of you are like that pearl merchant you're constantly searching you're constantly probing you are what sometimes some people call a seeker you are really genuinely seeking some of you are christians and you are already and you are still seeking you are seeking for something you're constantly probing your bible searching reading asking questions attending seminars that's you you're like the pearl merchant you're very proactive And then there is the man on the land. The man on the land, now when I say the word passive here, I don't mean it in a negative way or in a pejorative way. He's just doing his own thing. He doesn't know what's going on. He's just minding his own business and then he stumbles upon treasure. And some of us, in fact maybe most of us, are like that man on the land. We're just going about our day, minding our own merry way and then... We stumble upon something. A friend invites us to church, right? Somebody tells us about, about Jesus. Or we happen to, to come across a book that was, lay, that, that was lying around our house and maybe it was a, some, you know, a, a, our daughter's book or, or our father's book or something like that and you just happen to pick it up. You were just doing your own thing. That's the man on the land. He's just going about passively and then he stumbles upon treasure. And then you have the banquet guests. You have the banquet guests. And for the banquet guest, the agent that is moving is the opposite of the one that you see in the pearl merchant. For the banquet guest, the thing that is of value is the one that's traveling. The valuable thing is the one that's going through places, making its way, looking for a target. For the pearl merchant, the one who is seeking, is looking, and the target is the valuable thing. For the banquet guests, the valuable thing is the one that's on the go. The valuable thing is the one that's on the move, searching, seeking, going, inviting, bidding people to come upon it. And and the banquet guests were not just passive, they were dismissive. They received the invitation, they held it at bay, they said, no, no thank you, I don't want this. In fact, you can think about it. Jesus probably told some of His parables many, 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 many times in His whole career. I mean, think about it. If, if your pastors tell the same stories many times in the course of one, two years of preaching, you can imagine that Jesus hitting so many cities, so many people would have heard, would have told similar stories in contextualized way, here and there, over and over again. So actually, I showed you the banquet guest story from the from Luke 14. If you look at the Matthew version of the banquet guest, it's not that, the, that Matthew is telling the story wrong. In all likelihood, Jesus was telling the same parable to a, to a slightly different crowd and He's nuanced that same story differently. And in the Matthew version, the, the banquet guests who were invited start taking the servant and start beating the servant and disgracing the servant before they send the servant off with the, un, with the, in, with the RSVP not given, right? And so and so, you, I really want to encourage you to go back and read the different uh, uh, renditions of the same uh, parable over again. But today I want to show you three things about seeing worth because what you have in these three parables are instances where great worth, Great untold worthiness and value shows up before different people and you have two of them, oh, I've got one more row, I've got one more row, right? On this table. Because untold worth shows up before these three people and they all, there are two different responses. So if you look at the pearl merchant and the man on the land, the both of them goes off. They sell everything they have. He sells everything they have in order to buy that one pearl. Because he knows if I get this one pearl, it would be worth it. Or the man on the land goes off, hides. He has to hide that thing first. He goes off, sells everything he has to buy the land. And in so doing, buy the treasure that is buried in the land so that he can possess it. But the banquet guests reject the invitation. Three things I want to show you. Let's look at the next slide. Number one, the whole, the, the whole invitation of God to see worth. Number one, we have to understand value. Number two, when you understand, number one, when you understand the value, number two, the trade is a no-brainer. When you understand the value of what we're dealing with, of what has, you have encountered, the trade itself is a no-brainer. But number three, if you don't see the worth, if you don't see the worth, someone else comes in before you. Someone else comes in ahead of you. And whatever that was of extreme worth, you miss out. You miss out. And so, SIBKL at Sungai Bulo, today, every single one of you, I don't want you to miss out. Every single one of you, I want you to claim it. I want you to get it. I want you to get the deal of your life. The deal of your life. And I know we all love shopping online and there's, started with like 1010 10, and then there's 1111 11, and there's like, I don't know, what what is that? There? There's like, some was there a 1-1? One, one? I don't think there was a 1-1, one, one, right? Um, but there's going to be Chinese New Year online sales coming up. And Every one of you, I know you're like constantly browsing. You've got a million things in your cart because you're constantly waiting to purchase it at the best value. Today, today, I want to take us into this idea that the greatest value has shown up before you, but let's have eyes to see. He who has eyes, let them see. Let's look at the first point. Right? This parable, treasure... And, and, and pearls, right? Now, I want to show you a, just a little bit of detailing on this. This man, he found the treasure. And what does he do after he finds the treasure? I love this. I love this guy so much. In fact, I love this guy so much that, that this tra- hidden treasure parable is one of my favorite parables, top two, top three parables in the whole of the New Testament, right? He covers it up! He protects the treasure. He makes sure that there is no other joker walking around this piece of land is going to stumble on this same piece of treasure while he runs off. And he's got so much... I don't know if you can call it, he's got integrity, right? He's got integrity. I found this land with this treasure here. Oh, I could take the treasure. I, I, I could take the treasure, no one would know, but that would be stealing. So I'm not going to take the treasure. I'm gonna restore and normalize this land, right? Normalize the land. And then he goes off. He goes off. And then he does what he does, right? He sells everything and then and to to purchase the land. Same thing um, for, for the merchant, right? Similar thing, right? He finds that one thing, right? And the whole idea behind this is that when these two characters, when they see the treasure, when they see the pearl, they recognize its value. They recognize its value. Sometimes we see things we don't recognize its value. And I want to tell you a story right now. It's one of my favourite sermon illustration stories of all time. And some of you have heard it once. Some of you have heard me share it twice. And I I believe I've shared it three times in three different places. And after today, I'm going to retire this story. So if you heard this story many times, um, I think Rachel's heard it many times. Andros may have heard it many times. You know, Ferguson from YA last time I've heard it before. I'm going to promise you I'm going to retire this story after today. But there was a man. There was a man. No, don't show this. No, no, no. Go back, go back, go back. There was a man who walked into a thrift store one day, right? And, and this man walked into a thrift store wanting to buy a, some golf cart, right? Some, some golf, golf stuff, right? Um, and just as he was passing through the entrance into the rest of the thrift store, he happens to chance, he chances upon the, a, a bin, a bargain bin of old watches that nobody wants. Apparently, most of them were very old, beat-up fossil watches um, with their batteries all melted, half-melted inside and stuff like that. It's like a wreck, right? It's a wreck. And and those fossil watches were selling at 15 US dollars, something like that, okay? So, So he just goes in and he knows just a little bit, just a little bit about watches. And then he starts looking. He rummages through it and he finds a watch. Don't show the slide. He finds a watch that he thinks, this doesn't look quite right. I think this is, I recognize the name on this watch. He brings, he buys it. The price tag on that watch is $5.99. He buys that watch at $5.99. He brings the watch home. Sorry, I was looking at these guys a lot. I should be looking at you guys too. He brings the watch home and then he says, oh, wow, he, puts, he goes onto an online watch forum and then he posts a picture of the watch and he tries to get a valuation of it. And then, he, and, then he, and then over time, I'm not sure if it's the same forum or not, he, he, he receives bids for that watch because as it turns out, it was quite a special watch, right? He sold that watch, show the slide, show the slide. <laughs> He sells that watch for $35,000. It was a jaeger lecoultre Deep Sea Alarm. Very old from 1959, if I'm not mistaken. Extremely rare watch. In fact, because it was one of the earliest, in fact, I think it was the first Deep Sea divers watch that had an alarm on it, Right. And, and there weren't many, uh, uh, there, were, there were like a thousand pieces around the world, you know, because this was the American version which says Lekut only, and it doesn't say shisha Lekut, whatever it is, right? That's not the point. The point is, this brother here had eyes to see value. At least he had enough eyes to see value. And he saw the watch, he knew it could not possibly be $5.99, he took it home to get it valued properly. And what a steal! $35,000 turnaround, right? You guys want to flip? You guys want to flip an old purchase like that? I'm sure you do. You are like, you, man, with a flip like that, right? Now, here's the problem. I want to share with you, here's the problem that is not told in this, in this slide. You don't see the problem in this slide. But I'm going to tell you what's the problem in this slide. Two people was involved in this story who could not see the value of this watch. Two people involved in this story who could not see the value of this watch. The first person is the guy who formerly owned the watch and brought it to a bargain bin and basically f- sold it with, probably with a bunch of other junk and took home maybe 50 bucks for it or something like that, right? For everything, all his junk. There's one person, the one who formerly owned it. The second person who couldn't, didn't have eyes to see worth didn't have eyes to see value. It's a worker in the store who put a $5.99 price tag on it. It took two people to pass off on this piece of, if I may say, jewelry, right? And then this guy, one guy who walks in with eyes to see worth. Enough eyes to recognize worth. And what a win. My friends, do we have eyes To see when a pearl of great value falls before us? Do we have eyes to see when we stumble upon something, some treasure that is so precious, so precious, that for you to give your whole life for it, it would be cheap. For you to give away your whole life for it, it would be worth it. It would be like a great steal, like the flip of the century. Do we have eyes to see it? Next slide, let's take a look. 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans. Oh, you saw some cases of rejection by humans. You saw the banquet guests rejecting rejecting the invitation. You saw the story of the man who just brought that, that watch and rejected it, threw it essentially at a bargain bin. You saw the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. So Jesus is chosen by God the Father and Jesus is precious to God the Father. So there is objective worth in King Jesus. His objective worth is assigned by God. Whatever value God gives is objective worth. It's not relative to how we feel. It's true worth, true meaning, true value. For in Scripture, it says, "I see, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Somebody say, precious cornerstone. Jesus is the precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. The one who goes into the proverbial bargain bin to pick up this, this, this discarded, rejected Savior will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, This stone is precious. Wait, wait a minute. Let's look at this. First, verse 4 says, chosen by God, precious to God. You see that? Verse 7 says now, precious to you who believe. Precious to God in heaven. Precious to you who believe on earth. When you look, at Scripture with Kingdom eyes, when you look at Scripture with the eyes of the Lord's Prayer, you start to see this pattern everywhere. Everywhere. On earth as it is in heaven. Magnificent on earth as it already has been magnificent in heaven. Manifesting on earth as He manifests in heaven. Because the train of His rope fills the temple in heaven. And holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth shall be filled with His glory. When you see Scripture through the lens of the arrival of the Kingdom of God, you see this pattern everywhere. He who has eyes, she who has eyes, let her see. Lest we become like the people in Isaiah 6, ever seeing never perceiving. Always can hear, but never can understand. Always stumbling. Always stumbling. On what? On this stone. Then then we end up being the ones who reject. The stone the builders rejected. To those who do not believe, to those whose eyes are blind, to those whose ears are stopped, to those who do not have eyes to see worth, the stone they rejected will become the cornerstone. I have a friend. I have a friend who, uh, whose spouse was in business, and their spouse was one at one point in talks to become a partner in a particular startup. And uh, and this friend told me that when 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 we look back at those days, I don't know how we made our decision, because she told me um, the name of that startup, and I was like, oh my gosh, your husband was involved in that? She said, no, he was never involved. Almost got involved. Never got involved huge today, not just national, like, like huge, uh, 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 huge turnover, uh, 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 making tons of money everywhere. And they look back and they say, ah, missed that boat. Missed it. If he, only he had jumped in right? and been part of that business. Today, right? we, 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 we will have more than enough. But the stone the builders rejected one day became the cornerstone and they had to see this stone become the cornerstone. And you know what? Along the way, it is not like a business opportunity that you miss. Along the way, the stone becoming more and more evident to be the cornerstone the, those, the ones who rejected continued rejecting, continued to push Him away. So my friends, if you see the cornerstone, this precious stone, this great pearl of, of value, this treasure that you stumbled upon, if you see its worth today, do not shut up your hearts, do not shut up your eyes, but yield to Him. Today, yield to Him. Let's look at the next point. Let's look at the next point on the next slide. If you understand the value, number two, the trade is a no-brainer. For the man who found the treasure, he would, he would sell everything he has, right? If you look at Matthew 13, he would sell everything he has to gain it. Why? Because he knows he has a valuation. If you get your valuation right, you know that my whole net worth Compared to this treasure, my whole net worth compared to this pearl, is a steal. It's a steal for me to just sacrifice whatever this I have, because what I have is not much. And I want to say this even to you guys um, who who have relative wealth, right? Like like if you if you are decent, you're doing quite okay, right? And I want to say this. When that pearl of great value, that Jesus, the Kingdom of God, He comes before you, He displays Himself before you, and you look at your not-too-shabby net worth, if you understand the value and you know how to, to put the right valuation on all these things, namely the valuation on Jesus, you will see that even if you lost all of this, relatively much wealth you would be obtaining this treasure at a steal. These two guys knew it. The pearl merchant knew it, the man on the land knew it. And then some other guys didn't know it. The guys who received the invitation, Luke 14, the guys who received the invitation could not see the value. In their minds, this is just some, what's this? What's this? It's nothing. It's just, ayo, I want to attend uh, this guy's party. Leche don't want la. Yeah, I got other things to do, I got better things to do. You know, you know uh, I bought land, you know. I'm not too shabby, you know. I got a land, you know. I want to go on my land, you know. You know, I got five yoke of oxen, you know. I want to go on them. <laughs> I always find the English translation very funny. I want to go try them out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I'm not a farmer, I don't get it, right? I got a wife. You know what? Stupid fella. Stupid fella. I just got married. I can't attend. Bring your spouse, man, right? Bring your spouse. Go together. If you, you, your, what kind of response? Clearly, it's not even a legitimate response and we'll get to that later, right? No excuses. No excuses, right? We'll look at that later, but let's look at a few more, a few more pieces of text to talk that shows you this Philippians chapter three, but everything Paul says, the apostle Paul, having encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, having lived a life in his, in his prior Career, previous career of persecuting the believers, going from house to house, dragging, dragging them out. And it was Paul who stood there and had all of, the, all of the, the brutal thugs throw their, their coats at his feet, while all those thugs went and just literally beat Stephen to death. Go look at it in the, in the, in the book of Acts. It was this Paul, after his conversion experience, With Jesus, seeing a blind light, blinded, as it were, on this road, on a a horse, fell off onto the the ground and said, Lord, who are you? Jesus said, Paul. He said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus Christ, whom you persecute. And he was blinded. Three days later, the scales fell off his eyes. But the scales did not just fall off his physical eyes. The scales fell off his spiritual eyes. And after that happened, he had eyes to see worth. And after he had eyes to see worth, this is what he said, but everything that was a gain to me, Jew, learned, rabbi, respected, rabbi of rabbis, Jew of Jews, so highly respected. You can go and read more. You can, you, yeah. Know Paul's life. Just go and get to know Paul's life. He was he was young, upcoming superstar rabbi on the rabbinical scene. Everything that was a gain to me, I considered it but a loss because of Jesus Christ. And that's not to say that, oh wow, i so painful, man. Once I knew Jesus, I had to lose everything. The opposite. So delicious. Once I came to know Christ, everything can go. I don't care. My eyes are fixed. My eyes are fixed more than that i consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value you know what surpassing value surpassing value is that supercar on the highway that overtakes you not the car but he goes so far ahead of you he surpassed you way surpassed you that distance that distance and and increasing in distance is what surpassing value means jesus christ comes Neck and neck with whatever thing of value in your life and bolts in front, showing you that this is of so much worth compared to what you thought it was, to what you had. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung. Many of your English translations will say consider them as refuse. Some of them, some of your translations say, consider them as filth. A good BM translation will say, consider them as nudges. So extreme, huh, Paul. So extreme. Huh? But he's literally using very, very, if you might say, if I may say very crude language to bring before you how extreme is. The difference between Christ and Jew of Jews, respected by all, what more, you know, learned, no fight. Essentially what Paul is saying, no fight. Your best, no fight, so that I may gain Christ. Is there one more verse? I think that's one more verse I want to show you. Mark chapter 10. The rich young ruler. You all remember the parable of the rich young ruler? We'll be looking in depth at the rich young ruler later in the year. Okay, when we think about the kingdom and wealth, the kingdom and having to let go. Okay, having to let go. It's the flip side. It's the other side of the coin to this par- to today's sermon. But I just want to point you in and and bring this before you first. Jesus, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt before him and asked him, "'Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' And then there is a conversation that goes on between verse 18, 19 and 20, right? We'll look at that later in the year, but I just want to drop you in on verse 21. "'Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, "'Okay, not bad, but you lack one thing. "'Go, and like the pearl merchant, go.'" And like the man on the land, go, sell all you have. Just give it to the poor. It's fine. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. It's the same parable. It's essentially the same parable. You have stumbled upon immeasurable worth. Will you let it all go to obtain it? And this this one guy was saddened. Scripture says he was sad because he had had a lot to give up. He had a lot to give up. My friends, it's only a lot if you do your valuations wrong. Now, I want to take a moment now to nuance this a little bit. I hope that in the last three years or however long, Pastor Fergus has matured a little bit, grown a little bit more nuanced. In the past, I would have preached it this way. Choose Jesus against the world. And there is a a way in which choose Jesus versus the world is biblical. 1 John chapter 2, 3. I always forget. It's one of my favorite verses, but I always forget. the, The Apostle John says, Do not love the world and the things of this world. If you love the world and its things, The love of the Father is not in you. In some very, very tangible way, God will make you choose between Him and everything else. But I want to nuance this one level for every one of you. It's not as simple always as just choose God, because sometimes you say, I just want to choose Jesus over everything else. Then you say that, oh, then every day, then you go to the Jesus things you know best, which is, I just keep going to church, keep reading Bible, keep praying. Church, Bible, pray. Church, Bible, pray. Sometimes do some, some acts of good works and something like that. But you know what? That is not the picture of the kingdom breaking into the world that we see throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that to choose Jesus over the world means to get into the world and bring the kingdom upon it. Bring the kingdom into it. Bring the kingdom to be in its midst. Not to set up some holy huddle, so that you can say, oh, I'm just going to um, um, do this whole Christian uh, uh, career. And this whole Christian... Um, Organization, my boss Christian, my wife is Christian, oh, I only want to work for that kind of thing. Or uh, uh, Christian schools, okay? Let's just only keep our children in Christian schools and only in Christian communities. And I want to move into this neighborhood because there's a lot of other Christian people there. And you, over time, you set up your own little Christian ghetto. You know the word ghetto doesn't, that doesn't mean like some slum, okay? The word ghetto in its original meaning means a neighborhood that is cordoned off and only has one type of people in it. That's what ghetto means. And some of us, we are inclined to withdraw from community and set up our little Christian ghettos, our little Christian businesses and Christian homeschools and Christian uh, 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 whatever, and we go to church on Sunday, we see everything together and we have no non-Christian friends because that's our own little world. And look, there, every, for every one of us, there's going to be one or two areas of what I've just described that, y- that you are doing. I've got so few non-Christian friends. It's not funny. As a pastor, it's not easy to have non-Christian friends. I try my best. Thank God they are in Kabang San School. The only non-Christian friends I have, frankly, are my children's friends' parents. And I love having those friends. And so I don't want you to feel like, wow, Pastor Fuck is so judgy today. I feel bad, like because I have one or two of these, I have one or two of these myself. Just make sure that the way you orient your whole life. Is that you don't just stack this up until that like you have six, seven, eight, nine, ten of this, and then you have too few of anything else. That's not kingdom living. And if you feel you're a little too stacked in, in in living like a like in a Christian ghetto, you need to start break those walls down so that the kingdom of God can be in their midst and not walled up into some holy huddle. That's so important. So when I say choose Jesus over the world, what I mean is choose entering the world with Jesus as opposed to choose entering the world without Jesus because Jesus belongs to the holy huddle. He belongs to the Sunday. He belongs to the Christian ghetto. And then when I go into the world, I'm just doing my thing. And then when business things come in, you say like, yeah, but this is how the real world works. And then you go on Sunday and you say, you say, holy, holy, glory to the Lamb. And you go into the marketplace and you say, this is how the real world works. There's no glory to the Lamb when you go out into the real world and you say, real world, and you say, this is how the real world works. That's not kingdom invading the world. There's no kingdom in their midst. There's kingdom far away. So if kingdom is going to enter into their midst the rest of this year, as we go into kingdom uh, 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 preaching and thinking in your cells or whatever it is in your prayer altars, we're going we're gonna to see what it's like because this is, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. We have to really get it. Not just birth of Jesus, resurrection of Jesus and everything in between is kind of like a good suggestion. It's not a good suggestion. It is a commission on how to order our lives so that we obtain great value. Okay, let's go to the third point. Because if you don't have eyes to see that great value, someone else jumps in front of the queue on you. Let's look again. Let's look again at Luke 14. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city. Bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame. It's a story, by the way, it's a story. And, And Jesus tells this similar story I believe it is in Mark. He tells a similar story on a different occasion where he actually says, go out and bring, out, bring in all of these people. Um, because why? Because they will not be able to pay you back. You bring in all the all hebat Heba people, they will return your favour and, and re-invite you back. But you bring in all these people, they can't pay you back. And because they can't pay you back, I will pay you back that's a different nuance in a different occasion where he told a great banquet story in this one he's saying similarish things he's saying go and bring in all the downtrodden the poor the weak the lame the people whom society has considered outcast and useless and and all those remember i said right that good news is going to preach, be preached to the poor. And blessed will be the poor in spirit. Who? The bringing the lame, the poor, the maimed, the blind. Why? Because the Kingdom of Heaven flips over the excess. That's not saying that there is no access. It just flips over the the proximity to access because for some reason, those people with lots of cows, lots of land and lots of spouses, maybe not lots of spouses, lots of land cows and have a good big family life are inclined. They are prone to say, no, thank you. I have a full life, and a full agenda already. And then he goes to all these people who are desperate and broken, blessed are indeed the poor in spirit, for they say yes when the invitation to the banquet comes. And then not enough, he says, go out even further. That's a metaphorical, it's parables, right? It's a metaphorical language to go out into the even further extent of outside people, to the highways and hedges. Make them come in! Make them come in! And then the initial people, the inner circle, the first to have access, miss out. You know, my friends, in one sense, we are these guys on the highways and hedges, because we are the Gentile Church, we are Malaysians, Chinese, Indian, East Malaysian, all here in the Far East, so to speak. It took us what, some, gosh, nine, 1800s, 1800s, 1800 years, 1700-ish years for the good news to get onto our soil. So far from the inner ring of the first set of invitees, those guys, were God's initial people, right? That was Israel. And then He called out, and your gospel will go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the highways and hedges and the byways, to the ends of the world. And you'll reach out, you will reach out, you will reach out, and one day you're going to find Malaysians coming to hear about this good news, and they will come into my banquet. In one sense, we are these people. And I'm thankful for it. And I don't want us to lord it over the initial set of invitees. that's why we would pray for Israel. We pray for Israel. We pray for Israel for their salvation. Let's pray for Israel right now. Father, I pray that your people, your Jewish people, ethnic Jewish people will come into faith. We pray that a great many of them will come into faith. They will have eyes to see, they will have ears to hear, so that there will be a reversal of, 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 of that sickness that they keep stumbling over this cornerstone. But they will come and see. Their ears will be unstopped. They will hear the gospel. Their eyes will, will, will finally, eyes of the blind will see. They will finally see the worth and they will come into your, your kingdom. As we have the Gentile church, we pray the same for your people of Israel. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that. Keep on praying that. And we pray that for our other friends in Malaysia as well. We keep praying that. Let's look at the next slide. Remember the parable of two sons. The father went to one son and said, son, go to the vineyard and work. The son said, okay, Pa. But he didn't go. He goes to another son and says, son, go to the vineyard and work. This son says, don't But after that, quietly, he went and worked. Which son? did His Father's will, the second one, right? The one who had all the wrong optics, huh, by the way, the don't know whatever la. wrong optics, okay? He, 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 he does not look like the good son. He does not have the right look. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, all of you all have the right look. All of you all say all the nice things to me in front of me, but you don't do what I ask. And then He says, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom before you. Why? They have eyes to see worth. After a while, you give them a while. They may not look right. They may not say the right things. They may not have the, mo- have, have, have the best PR. But bother their PR. When push comes to shove, they come to me. When push comes to shove, they go out to the vineyard to work. I'd rather have that kind of son. Says Jesus, I'd rather have that kind of believers, that kind of followers. Therefore, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the downtrodden, all these people whom you pandang rendah them, they are overtaking you in their pursuit of surpassing worth and glory of Jesus Christ. So my friends, next slide. Psalm 119 says, Be good to your servant while I live, that I may obey your word. And open my eyes, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And what this means is that you can encounter Jesus with closed eyes and you will never see worth. But if you come before Jesus with open eyes, you will see immeasurable worth. Immeasurable worth. We do, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to enable us to see. My friends, have you all not seen before? We're all in church. I believe at one point in your life you have seen before. I believe today you are seeing it again, all over again. So I want to open the altar today. In a few moments, we're going to be worshipping and devoting our hearts and our eyes. So today, today, I want us to see. See as we've never seen before. So I want you to hold your hands open. I want you to hold your hands open right now. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. I'm going to pray one shot together with us. In fact, I want to encourage everyone, physical, rise to your feet. And if you want to order your life, if you want to order your life and say, God, give me eyes to see, eyes to see worth, come to the front. We want to pray along with you. I can have some of the leaders just come to the front and just be ready to receive people for prayer. Thank you. For the rest of us, I don't want to be spooky, but I want you to close your eyes. I want you to put your hands on your eyes. But this is not magical. It's just a personal gesture. It's just a personal gesture. Put your hands on your eyes. No one looking around because everyone's eyes closed and everyone's hands on your eyes. So confirm no one looking around. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, Open my eyes, that I may see beautiful things out of King Jesus. Beautiful things in your law, that I may behold you. And you will not be boring, you'll be beautiful. Give me eyes to see, and a heart to value, you as the greatest treasure so that when I go into this world, I will not be ashamed. I will not be ashamed to bring you in. But my role is to bring Kingdom into this world. In Jesus' name. If you have found this, if you have found this pearl of great value, if you have found this treasure in King Jesus, more precious than anything, You're more than gold, more than anything. Don't let him go, but hold on to him. And what it means to hold on to King Jesus is this. Tomorrow when you're going to work, bring him in. That's what it means to never let him go. Don't let him go in your house and then go into your workplace. Bring him with you. Hold your hands before you. I want to pray with you to close. Father, these hands will bring and hold Jesus and bring Jesus to work with me tomorrow. Father, I will not leave you at home. I will not leave you in church. These hands, hold your hands, look at them. Father, these hands will bring King Jesus and the kingdom, the renewing, powerful, redemptive kingdom to my workplace tomorrow. Look at your feet. Father, these feet will go where you ask. These feet will not have their own agenda. These feet will carry the Gospel. These are shoes that are worn or feet, worn, ready to carry the Gospel wherever. I will not siam from an opportunity. I will carry the Gospel. I will be obedient. Look back at your hands. Children, these hands will bring you to school These hands will bring you to daycare. Look at your children's hands and prophesy over them. Even if your very young children won't know what's going on. Prophesy and speak this over them. Father, these hands will bring the love, the peace, the shalom of God, incomprehensible maybe to a four-year-old's tongue. But these hands and these hearts and these hands will bring the shalom of God into daycare, into kindergarten, into primary and secondary school. These hands will bring the love of Jesus into campus and college and uni. These hands will bring the love of God into every handshake, every fist bump in an interaction in your communities, in your neighbourhoods. Because I will never let you go and I will not leave you behind. I will accept the invitation. My friends, you want to know what the banquet looks like? on a day-to-day basis, bring me with you. That's what the banquet looks like. Bring me with you. You want to turn that down? I don't want to turn that down. I will never let you go. Never ever let you go. I will not turn that down. Church, that invitation is before you. Today, next week, every week, bring the kingdom into the midst of a fallen, dark world so that the grip of darkness, of the dominion of darkness can start to be forced to be loosened. You know how the dominion of darkness will be loosened over our land? When the kingdom breaks in. And when that happens, a people in darkness will see a great light. They will see it in every single one of you. So now, may the love of God the Father. Oh, what a loving Father! Oh, what a loving Father! May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself up, who gave Himself up so that we can obtain treasures untold. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit that gave you eyes that were resurrected eyes to see worth, May that same Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us from Sunday to Sunday, from sunrise to sunrise, so that we can see your face. So that as we go about our coming week, you take us deeper, drawn by the, by, by, by the beauty, the presence of your grace, as the song says. So Father, we thank you. We commit this week into your hands. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all of God's people shout aloud. Amen. Amen. Come on, give a praise to God.